Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode 89 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Maureen Quindy and Steve Gardner of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization to learn about their organization's efforts with virtual conferences. Before we do that, we want to first take a moment to thank Castle, our sponsor for the second quarter of 2017. Castle is an accomplished full services certification and licensure testing company that also offers its clients a variety of learning solutions capabilities. With an expert team of testing and instructional design professionals and a 30-year history of excellence in its field, Castle understands what it takes to develop and deliver quality learning and certification programs. To find out more about Castle's custom learning solutions, go to leadinglearning.com castle. Related to this episode interview with Maureen and Steve, we want to highlight the Tagoras report on association virtual events. This is a free report, and in it we draw on data from more than 100 associations to help you understand the emerging role of virtual events in the association sector. If you're considering a virtual conference or another virtual event, then you're on the verge of making a significant investment. And this report, Association Virtual Events, will help you learn fast and get on the road to success. To get the report, which again is free, go to tagoras.com slash virtual hyphen events. And so, Salisa, you got to talk in depth with Steve and Maureen about uh, their virtual events. And if I remember correctly, they've been doing virtual conferences for quite a while now. So what did you cover? Well, you're right. You do remember correctly, they have been doing virtual conferences for five years now. And given that they have that depth of experience, um, we talk about uh, what first got them initially into virtual conferences, what was uh, what prompted them to undertake that format. We also then talked about what has evolved over those five years. What aspects have they left the same? Which ones have they changed? Of course, we talked about why any changes were made. And then we also just talked a little bit about the format itself and kind of uh, inherent benefits and and um, potential uh, um, difficulties to overcome in the format. Well, we're definitely bullish on virtual events. We've tried one ourselves with uh, learning technology design this year and it felt like, you know, we had a great experience with it, learned a lot. It's great to be hearing from folks like Steve and Maureen who have been doing it for a while and then really have some, some deep experience to share. And, you know, I'm hoping this episode is going to inspire some organizations who haven't ventured into the virtual events world yet to, to make it part of their portfolio going forward, at least to give it a, a good try. So really looking forward to this. Let's go 
ahead and roll the interview with Steve and Maureen. Hello, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Maureen Quendi and Steve Gardner, both of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Maureen is the Director of eLearning at NHPCO, and Steve is the Director of Education there. Maureen and Steve, thanks for taking time for the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you for having us. So, Maureen, would you start us off by sharing uh, a bit about the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, your mission, and, and who you serve? Um, NHPCO, which is a National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, uh, was founded in 1978, and we are the largest nonprofit membership organization representing hospice and palliative care programs and professionals in the United States. NHPCO is committed to providing and improving end-of-life care and expanding access to hospice care with the goal of profoundly enhancing quality of life for people dying in America and their loved ones. Our mission is to lead and mobilize social change for improved care at the end of life. And uh, our vision is a world where individuals and families facing serious illness, death, and grief will experience the best that humankind can offer. NHPCO believes in service, respect, excellence, collaboration, and stewardship. Service in, uh, in engaging customers, respect in honoring others, excellence in exceeding expectations, collaboration in fostering partnerships, and stewardship in managing resources. So those are our values. And our NHPCO headquarters are in Alexandria, Virginia. Well, great. So it's a, an old organization doing important work here. And I'm especially interested in digging into NHPCO's um, experience with virtual conferences with the two of you. But, but before we do that, I think it would be helpful to know what else NHPCO does in terms of education. So, so Steve, could you give us kind of a snapshot view of, of what your portfolio looks like in terms of educational offerings, certifications, events, et cetera? Sure. We offer uh, 24 webinars a year. We provide two a month. We have over 100 asynchronous online courses available. We offer also about a dozen synchronous instructor-led courses, which are approximately six weeks long each. And then we have two in-person national conferences annually, one a clinical conference and one a management and leadership conference. And we offer between one to two virtual conferences a year. Uh, We've done so for the past five years. And we offer a number of manager and executive leadership programs and collaborate with other organizations on a variety of special educational projects that really just sort of pop up. And finally, NHPCO is accredited to provide continuing education credit to counselors, nurses, physicians, and social workers. So that's sort of a a thumbnail of of what we do in the education team. Well, yeah, so it sounds like you've got a lot going on. And and then, as you mentioned, you've you've added virtual conferences to that mix uh, starting about five years ago. Um, And uh, and so, Maureen, will you Talk a little bit about the main drivers that led you to try that format to say, okay, let's add virtual conferences to the range of the webinars and the asynchronous courses and the instructor-led courses and the conferences that were place-based that you were already offering. Sure. 
We had various reasons for considering a virtual conference. We used to have an on-site conference and noticed a decline in conference attendance. We were not meeting our goals in attendance. Also, there was increasing cost of hosting in-person conferences, and with a decline in attendance, we were losing money. We conducted a member needs assessment, and the feedback that we got from our members indicated interest in having a virtual conference. We also thought of trying something new, something innovative, something fun um, from what we were currently doing. A cost-effective approach for participants at NHPCO would actually uh, be uh, something we, we, we thought would be um, interesting. So for many years, we have experience with web webinars and webcasts for our educational programs, which was uh, successful, cost-effective, and our members were comfortable with technology. So participating online using virtual conference technology wouldn't be a problem to our members. So having a virtual conference site uh, allows multiple participants at no additional cost versus, you know, an, an, uh, an on-site conference, reaching thousands versus hundreds, and this depends on your field or industry. For example, in our 2012 conference, in one of our sessions, we had about 1,500 attendees, which is not what we would have, you know, with our on-site conference that was just declining in attendance. So expanding reach to participants who typically could not travel uh, to national meetings was also one of the reasons, those who did not have the budget for travel. So all of these things, you know, all of these reasons gave us, um, made us decide to give a virtual conference a shot. Well, yeah, and I like especially that you, you took the time to do the, the member needs assessment and to ask specifically about whether the, this might be a format. And so you had that as, a, uh, as uh, evidence of, of, yes, this could be worth trying out. And, and you've stuck with the format for a number of years. And, and so, Steve, could you share a little bit about the evolution of the virtual conferences? You know, what, what have you kind of kept the same from that very first one in 2012 until now? And, and what have you tweaked or, or changed over time? Sure. Well, you know, starting out a little over five years ago in the planning stages of this, we really evaluated what resources and support we would need to pull off a virtual conference for the first time. Again, using the webinars is a, sort of a historical basis for us and our needs assessment. We just really dived right into this. We first, though, identified a partner that could really provide all the technical support and expertise that we didn't have on staff. And this was probably one of the most important decisions we made since the success of the conference depends on the delivery of the content electronically. We also created a business plan and a budget that made sense for us. and. We really approach the planning of the virtual conference very much the same way we, we do for an in-person conference. We pull together uh, content experts to serve on a planning committee. We sought their input along the way as we designed uh, sort of the format, the framework. Um, our first virtual conference was a five-day event, and we uh, you know, really had to consider being on the Eastern time zone, you know, how should we really start the day and end the day to make sure it was going to work for everyone across the country. So we decided to start in the afternoon and end and no later than 6 p.m. to really make it a reasonable hour for learners on the West Coast and, of course, learners in Hawaii and Alaska where we have uh, constituents and we you know, certainly wanted to be respectful of their 
the fact that they're getting up at 6 a.m. to participate in a conference. And believe it or not, they did. So uh, with that, we designed two different types of formats. We have plenary sessions, which are live streaming out of NHPCO's Alexandria office. And then we have concurrent sessions, which are webinar-based using PowerPoint and audio through the computer speakers. And once we really developed that program, you know, we... We did a few things differently than you would an in-person conference. We have a faculty training that really shares with them what the format is like and what the expectations are and what's different than being face-to-face with your audience. We also provided training for participants who were interested uh, to make sure that they could technologically uh, meet the requirements to have a successful experience. And both of those trainings are, were recorded and placed on our website so they could be viewed at any time. So the, we've kept all of those basics that I've just mentioned, uh, the faculty training. We found that doing that earlier uh, is better in the process because it gives the faculty time to think about their PowerPoint slides in a different way, knowing that they're going to be using some technology to hopefully engage the audience. Um, we also provide three months of access to all of the content after the conference is over. So that's another real advantage to having a virtual conference. And we have a video library where we uh, really assemble all kinds of resources and tools, and and primarily video, some audio, which uh, are sort of going to build on what we are presenting in our content. Uh, a couple of things are different, though. I mean, based on the theme of your conference and uh, the content, you really can decide how many days you might want to do this. And we've offered over the years now between you know, a two-day conference, a three-day conference, and a five-day as we started out. We haven't gone back to a five-day. We found that to be a bit rigorous and taxing. Mm-hmm. So uh, a two- to three-day uh, time frame is really our sweet spot. And, uh, and keeping in mind those are really half days uh, when you're looking at the time frames that you're dealing with. And in the beginning, we offered a virtual exhibit hall, and we had a silent auction. We had a lot of things going on, and we didn't really garner the high levels of interest in some of those extras, so we pared them back a little bit, and we've added a few things, too. We've come up with academic poster sessions uh, as additional resources, and these are accessed to the website, and they really provide great content outside of our webinar and plenary sessions. And I would say another thing that's changed is because of the popularity of the live streaming, we've gone from having one of those a day to having two a day. We start the day with a live streaming and we end the day with a live streaming. And we found that that really is a nice balance with the webinar format. And one of the things we found in our participant feedback is that uh, we were providing 30-minute breaks between sessions, but um, the feedback said that was too much time, uh, downtime, so they really, uh, based on that, we went to a 15-minute break, and that seems to be working well. But we really are always paying attention to those evaluations that we get back and tweaking our uh, program or uh, whether it's the content or just the format to really give the best learning experience possible. So those have been some of the things we've done over the years. Uh, That's great. Thanks, Steve, for for sharing um, some of the tweaks and changes you've made over the years and, and some of the rationale for that. Because you uh, mentioned the fact that you base some of those changes on um, feedback, would you talk a little bit about um, evaluations and, and what maybe what level of um, uh, response rate you're getting from those? Um, because obviously you must feel confident enough that you're getting a good level of response to make changes based on that feedback. 
Exactly, and that's the key. And one of the requirements we have for um, continuing education credit for the nurses, physicians, counselors, and social workers and others that might just want the certificate is that they must complete an evaluation. So that really helps us get the feedback that we need. We're looking at probably 40 to 50% of all participants are seeking some form of credit. And then on top of that, we are always asking and uh, suggesting that people give us that feedback on a daily basis or after the conference is over. So it really gives us valuable feedback to really summarize. Then we can make comparisons from year to year and look at trends and, and really helps us make those decisions to improve the program. Well, great. Now, uh, I know that there's this issue of cannibalization that, that often gets brought up when people are considering whether to make the move to, to a virtual conference. And, and so, Maureen, was that ever a, a concern for NHPCO? Um, were you worried about it negatively impacting attendance at any of your, your pay, place-based conferences? We certainly thought about this issue when we first started offering virtual conferences, and we wanted to make sure that the virtual conference content was unique uh, from that from um, from that of our in-person conferences. So our experiences has has not been one in which a virtual conference has negatively impacted in-person conferences. But I think you have to strategically determine the content and dates of your virtual conference to ensure it doesn't compete or clash with others that you may offer in person. Great. So you've sort of tried to balance it so that it really does feel like not a, a substitution to anything you already had in your portfolio, but, but uh, an addition, a complement to what was already there. Exactly. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what might be the innate advantages and, and disadvantages of the virtual conference um, format. Uh, I mean, Steve, do you believe that there are sort of innate pros and cons to the format? And, and if yes, can you talk a little bit about some of those pros and cons of the virtual conference format? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's some of both, just with anything. Um, some pros for us, uh, as Maureen mentioned earlier, we have been able to reach a much wider audience uh, with our virtual conferences, able to reach people who couldn't afford to come to an on-site conference. And by having a registration fee associated with an organization that's a flat fee, allowing as many people uh, as who want to attend to attend, that's a, a great benefit and a great selling point for us from a marketing standpoint. It also gives the organizations an opportunity to invite community members in um, or colleagues uh, from similar-minded organizations to participate at no additional cost. And uh, for our very first conference, which was on volunteer managers, uh, we had a volunteer day, and, and these are not professionals working in hospices. They are the individuals who are trained, but they're uh, volunteering their time to go and visit with uh, patients and families. We had approximately 5,000 participate in one training event for volunteers, and we, in a you know an in-person conference, would never uh, achieve that kind of a response. So that's a, a huge plus. Um, another benefit is there are no travel costs really associated with our webinar faculty participating. So it's a it's a it really helps the faculty. It helps us in terms of having to perhaps pay for that. And it's, it's much easier to recruit faculty when they don't really have to leave their office and it's an, a very little downtime for them. And it's, a, it's a big plus. 
A couple of cons uh, that we found that we work around and, and strategize around, um, we find that you know some faculty might not really know how to engage as much with the audience, how to interact with this virtual conference environment. So we strongly work, encourage them and work with them to uh, utilize the technology we have available to engage the audience through polling questions, uh, chatting with one another and the chat boxes. Uh, posing questions in the Q&A and posting messages on social media. Uh, we do a lot of photo sharing, and we encourage everyone to be tweeting about what's going on. So there's a lot of, uh, of hopefully, activity going on uh, beyond what's just happening uh, with uh, someone sitting in front of their computer listening passively. Um, we also, you know, have to work around some of the learners may not have the technology or may not have tested their, their equipment to ensure that they can have a good experience. So we're constantly um, putting forth a lot of information about, you know, test your speakers, make sure you have the bandwidth you need to participate. We want them to have a positive experience and not have technical difficulties. So that's one of the things that uh, we just do a lot of communication around to ensure that they will have a good experience. Um, so those are some of the things that we've you know, struggled with on the con side, but I think the more we do to communicate and work with faculty and participants, we were able to diffuse those. All right, so some you know some disadvantages that you've seen, but but they seem addressable, and that's something that you're actively uh, dealing with, which which makes sense. I think every format, even the the place based conference, has its uh, its pros and cons, as you alluded to when you said sort of every format does have advantages right. and disadvantages. Now you know I, I think technology is a much more integral aspect of a virtual conference than a place-based conference. And I know, Steve, you talked about that you, you felt like finding um, that technology was, was one of the most important essential things that you had to do. So, um, Maureen, maybe you could talk a little bit about what issues and, and criteria wound up being really important, the deciding factors for you in picking a, a technology platform, a technology partner. Like Steve mentioned when he was uh, talking about our educational uh, offerings uh, that we've, we also provide 24 webinars in a year. This is something that we have done for, for years and years, you know, providing webinars and, you know, on-demand webcasts. So um, we have had enormous success uh, doing this for our members and the technology that uh, the, pro the provider of the technology that we use was Compartners. So also knowing that Compartners had the technology that's required uh, to produce a virtual conference, we felt comfortable selecting them uh, due to the trust and success and confidence we already had in them. So they were able to project the webinars um, like we do, uh, the, the um, concurrent session like webinars like do we currently do in the web, in the in the webinars that we provide you know twice a month and also the success uh, that they have the technology uh, for uh, our, our plenary speakers to be recorded in our conference room such that they are projected you know in real time for our online participants so um, for that reason you know we went with compartners we still use them since 2012 and uh, you know they're still our our virtual conference provider um, technology wise they delivered and we're still happy with them 
Well, great. And so it sounds like for you, there was a big benefit in going with the same platform that you were already using because members would be familiar with it. And then this, uh, the move into virtual conferences allowed you to use even more functionality that that technology partner could bring, could bring to bear. Um, so Steve, if we, if we think about uh, an organization that, that maybe is considering um, trying a virtual conference, but they haven't yet really um, tried one, they haven't yet uh, done anything, you know, what recommendations would you have for how they might get started? Well, I think I would suggest that you start small. Uh, consider it a like a virtual conference pilot just to get your feet wet and ask a lot of questions of your learners through needs assessment and surveys beforehand and ensure that you're, you sort of have them on board and have some interest built up. I think that would be key. Um, I would also make sure you have the support of your senior leadership. We found this to be a critical asset. Um, and I would recognize that the planning of a virtual conference is about as time-consuming mm. as planning a live conference. So you have to make sure you have the staff resources to pull it off, including registration resources, IT internally, and, of course, your entire education team probably will have some hand in it. And I would consider partnering, partnering with other organizations as an option. Uh, you share the risks and rewards and expand your reach. This is something we've done um, later in a, sort of our evolution. Uh, we collaborate with other uh, hospice and palliative care organizations. Uh, rather than uh, you know, compete with them, we're collaborating with them, and we found that to be a very positive experience for, the, for our field. And finally, as I mentioned, and as everyone, uh, Maureen's mentioned, you know, having that trusted partner to help you with the technology piece is, is key. So, you know, do all, put a lot of those things in place first and then do a lot of testing of everything and, uh, you know, troubleshooting, you know, is sort of part of the game. You just have to sort of be ready for whatever comes your way. And um, But I think it's something that, you know, with the way the world is today with so much technology, if you're not doing it, you should certainly consider it. But I would, you know, as I said, maybe start small, but I think you'll find it a, a good experience. Well, I, I, it's interesting around the partnering. Um, could you talk a little bit more about how you go about partnering with those organizations? I mean, are you, um, uh, so you're um, sharing the cost as well as the revenue that's coming in from it. You're sharing some of the responsibilities for finding speakers. How, and maybe it's varied in, in uh, along the years or the times that you've tried it, but I would love to just get a, a few more details around that partnering aspect. Sure. Um, it, it really can be all of the above that you just sort of threw out. We are partnering with other uh, membership-based organizations, um, and we we all three, and we're working with two others uh, right now on an upcoming uh, virtual conference, we have um, really similar constituencies, and we don't want to really compete with one another, so we are sharing the risks. We're doing a revenue share. Uh, we uh, have a planning committee that's really representing all three organizations, the, all of the education leaders as well as some of the content experts that each of them then identify. So it really allows us to expand our sort of content reach as well and identify faculty that maybe we as a, you know, a single organization sponsoring it would not have been able to really identify and, and perhaps persuade to participate. So it's been great to really pull 
the best from all three organizations. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, we, we, even though we're holding it perhaps in our office um, virtually, everyone is participating. We have the ability to include all of our partners as moderators and, and give them a role and a visible role. And so, and through marketing, I think we're each marketing to our own individual organizations and, and memberships. And we're really able to expand sort of the portfolios of other organizations too. Well, that sounds great. So I'd like to shift just a little bit. We've been focused on your virtual conferences, but I want to broaden the scope and I'd like to hear from both of you on, on what's going on in learning these days that, that excites you. And I'm, I'm thinking this could be something um, that you're doing at NHPCO or you are thinking about doing at NHPCO, or it could just be something that excites you as an individual lifelong learner. So Maureen, would you start us off? What, what's exciting to you about learning these days? Um, first, technology is just rapidly changing. Um, it's hard to keep up. Um, not long ago, we we're talking about computer-based training, mm-hmm. and then it's e-learning, and then it's m-learning. There's just too much going on in the learning space. But um, the area that really excites me, I would like to talk about, is that of micro-learning, uh, where um, which refers to micro perspectives in the context of learning, education, and training. Um, from what I've, I'm seeing these days, people don't really have time to sit down and take a training that lasts hours. People prefer uh, to absorb information in bite sides, in chunks. So learning in small chunks or topics versus the whole project. You know, and I find micro learning fun because it can also be done on the go, which means that you can receive smaller lessons that help you advance towards your educational goal, even where you're on the, when you're commuting or you're on the train or in the restaurant. So while micro learning is exciting to me, I'm curious, you know, how microlearning can count towards continuing education in the association industry. Um, for example, how a nurse uh, can obtain continuing education credit, say, 0.20 CE for a 10-minute training mm-hmm. um, from attending a conference uh, last, uh, some conferences last year, and even um, as a member of learning and development organizations, many associations are not taking advantage of learning, uh, microlearning, because they're still trying to figure out the continuing education component. So um, this is something that I look forward to see uh, being implemented in in organization. I'm also excited uh, about the area of virtual reality, creating virtual reality games in education. So these two things, I'd like to see them implemented in uh, organization. It's not being done, not yet, but... um, um, hopefully in the near future. All right. So you're keeping your eye on M learning and, and VR. Steve, how about you? What What's exciting you in terms of learning these days? Well, I would just really echo what Maureen just said. I mean, technology is providing so many options to reach our learners. Um, it's, it's so hard to keep up and things change so quickly. Um, that keeps us on our toes, and you know, fortunately for NHPCO, we have Maureen to keep us on our toes because she's always <laughs> pushing the envelope. So, uh, you know, I think we're just trying to translate a lot of this uh, new, all of these new opportunities to faculty and to our learners about how to access them. And so that really puts uh, us into, you know, sort of that uh, we're, we're bringing them to. Uh, the, bringing the horse to water, you know, it's, mm-hmm. we're, we're really trying to take something new and share it with perhaps um, neophytes when it comes to technology with some of our learners. So it's, it really provides a lot of opportunities. 
Well, great. So, so next to last question, and this is one that we ask everyone that we interview for the Leading Learning Podcast, um, and it's a question about how you approach your own lifelong learning. Again, I want to hear from both of you, but, but Steve, will you start us off this time? Sure. Well, I think in addition to participating in live and virtual conferences, uh, you know, just really based on what's available from some of the associations and memberships that I belong to, I'm a big believer in mentoring, uh, whether that's formal or informal mentoring, in person or virtual. I think there are so many experienced professionals in any field that want to give back, and I think tapping into that is very important. And throughout my career, I've always sought out mentors for new ideas, uh, different perspectives to help me with my professional growth. And I think, you know, everyone should really seek out within their organization or perhaps with, you know, uh, organizations that um, have nothing to do with what your business line might be, just because it provides a different uh, way to enrich your professional and your personal life. So that's that's really one of the keys for, for, for me is looking for mentoring. Okay. And, and Maureen, how about you? How do you approach your lifelong learning? I totally agree with Steve. Um, last year, I participated in a mentor program with the, with, with, um, the Association of Training and Development where uh, it was like a year program where we had the opportunity to exchange ideas. It was great. You know, just learning and giving back, I think, is key. I also approach lifelong learning by making sure that I'm constantly in the loop of like lifelong learning discussions. As a member of many learning and development organizations, I participate in webinars, webcasts, conferences, mentor programs, like Steve mentioned, educational programs in general, just to advance my professional life as a long, lifelong learner. You just can't stop. It just is no we just have to keep learning. Yeah, like you said, it's so hard to keep up as uh, the pace of technology increases and the pace of change. So, That's right. great. So the last question, just if, if le- listeners would like to know more about NHPCO or, or what you guys are doing, where would you have them go? And, and Steve, I'll throw that question to you. I would encourage uh, you to visit the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization's website. We are at www dot nhpco.org and you can learn more about our organization about hospice and palliative care a lot of resources a lot of free resources and in addition under the education tab uh, on the homepage, you can find uh, information about our upcoming virtual conference which is this July and by just sort of taking a look at what we're offering and, and how we're positioning uh, the virtual conference, you might get some ideas uh, that you can use on your, uh, with your virtual conference. And if you'd like to reach either uh, myself or Maureen, uh, please feel free to email us at education at nhpco.org. And we really appreciate the opportunities to have this chat with you. Well, thanks so much, Steve. And thank you to Maureen. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. So that wraps up our interview with Maureen Quindy and Steve Gardner. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks once again to Castle, a full-service certification and licensure testing company that also offers its clients a variety of learning solutions capabilities. You can find out more about Castle's custom learning solutions by going to leadinglearning.com castle. 
To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 89. And while you're there, you will see a variety of options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you aren't already subscribed, and if you are getting value out of the podcast, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be truly grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating and review on iTunes. Very easy to do. All you got to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That'll put you in the right place. And we'd really appreciate it. It'll help us know that you are, in fact, getting value out of the podcast, and it'll make it easier for others to find the podcast. Finally, we hope that you will consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, just pick another social network of your preference and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.